Hello and welcome to the unofficial unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. My name is Dan and with me as always is Menomina, I mean Sarah. Hello Sarah, how are you? I was better until you said that. Menomina. I thought this week would be a quiet week. I actually, this is like, it's just one of those weird things. You know how you have this mental image of what's going to, to be happening and then it just gets completely turned on its head. Cause I was the same. I was like, man, we're going to have to, we're going to have to dig into previewing the Giro Rosa and, and stuff like that just to have enough stuff to talk about for the week. Um, and holy shit was I wrong. You know what? I don't think we've even got time for bickering this week. Bullshit. There's always time for bickering. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, no, there you're is. Wrong. No, no, absolutely there is. Hey, shut up. Anyway. The man's talking, you're <laughs> listening. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we have so much to talk about. We're going to put forward our Giro Rosa preview till next week, which you know is the week before the Giro Rosa, so there's that. But yeah, this week we've got so much to tell you about um, racing, UCI changes to various forms of cycling. We've got amazing interviews, amazing blogs. Honestly, just, uh, just, just videos, fantastic. The, everyone's getting out of control with their blogs and social media and videos and shit. Like, you guys are just nuts. Like, yeah, wow. So, yeah, there, there's heaps of stuff to talk about. But as always, we're going to start off with uh, the, the racing and what's been going on lately. Now, I was really shocked, Sarah, to see not only who won um, in Trentino, but they won in such unusual style. I couldn't <laughs> Just shocked me. Absolutely yeah. shocked me. Yeah. Um, Giro Trentino is a bit of a it's, it's a bit of a problematic race for me because back in the day it used to be three days and it had amazingly beautiful mountainous stages. Basically, I've said this before, but start at the bottom of an alp, ride to the top of an alp, and then they kind of change it to a completely pyramid style um, uh, profile, ride uphill fast and steep forever, and then just ride down to the bottom of the alp again, and it was lovely. And then it had some problems, and it kind of blames problems with local organisers and stuff like that, sorry, local um, politics and stuff like that. And they moved from a three-day race to two days, to three stages over two days. And, you know, that was disappointing. And they got rid of some of the mountains, and that was disappointing. And then this year, they've had even more problems, and it's just been down to a day race, which is really sad. And it's especially sad because it used to be that you'd have Giro Trentino on the same weekend as Rabochter, Zoitscher, Islanden. So you'd have a flat, sprinty, amazing race and a really hilly, climby race on at the same weekend. And Rabochter's gone and Trentino's down to one day. So, yeah, I'll just take a moment to... Yeah, pour one out, <sighs> pour one out for the races, so to speak. Yeah. As... However, it was still a great race. And um, I think you should... I'm going to give you permission to, give, to tell the world who won it. My problem is that this race was just way too attacky. Like, just way, way, <laughs> way too attacky. Um, I, I really feel like it should have been raced very defensively with <laughs> as much passivity as possible um, and, and possibly had everyone cross the line together singing Kumbaya and holding hands. So I was very, very, very disappointed uh, in young Miss Scandalara's efforts. Um, yeah. 
Right. Yeah, it was a tacking race in Italy, and it was won by Valentina Scandalara. Um, Vale, if you don't follow her on Twitter, follow her. She is just such a nice rider, so happy and positive, and a very, 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 very attacky. Her mm. nickname on her old team was Little Crazy Horse for the way <laughs> the attacks were the which, which, by the way, is still the best nickname for a rider ever. You know, Noemi Cantillay had the same nickname. I think that there's always got to be one Italian little it, crazy horse. It, it's, um, it's actually one of those ones that I wonder if it's like, a, you know, an unofficial Italian national team title that gets passed on. Oh, yes. Gets handed down. You yeah, are now yeah. crazy you, horse. You have, yeah. you have inherited. You have shown enough insane, nay, stupid attacks to be little crazy horse. Do they do they play crazy horses while they um while they hand you the um while they hand you the the certificate? I I not being a member of the uh, Italian national women's team, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Valet's been attacking. I mean, it's it's great because she's running for Orica Green Edge, and she's been. I mean, Valet attacks all the time anyway. She says sometimes that she probably attacks too much that she should probably write, learn to race cleverer and not use her energy, but. Who can no no Valet no no, no. in 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 Sarah's in Sarah's fantasy of of being the the sole DS ruler of the world, uh, there is always a, an exception, and um, a Valet's team role is on Sarah's Sarah's ideal team is just to attack. Yeah, but um, and, and be nice on Twitter. She's got such a nice Twitter presence. So she's, yes, she I, actually, that, that's the other thing I was going to say. I mean, as, as you mentioned, she's a, a recent addition or new addition this season to Orica, but she's really slotted in well there. Um, you know, lots of lots of jokey, antique kind of stuff. I mean, she's, she's basically only, uh, what, it's June now, so, yeah, she's technically only three, three and a half months away from being declared an unofficial Aussie, so... And yeah, and she's been attacking all season, and it's great to see it pay off. Um, she won against some really super hot riders as well. So she's um, she won five seconds ahead of a basically it's a small group, and it ended up with a small group of six, which Valet attacked from. Brilliant! <laughs> I'm so what a shock! What a it's just yes. I know, I know. With um with Georgia Bronzini winning the sprint for second and Rossella Ratto in third, so that's some serious yeah. talent that Valentino won. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. So you've heard it. You heard it here first, folks. Sarah's tipping Valentina to win the Giro Rosa next week. So, <laughs> oh bless her heart, no. <laughs> um, uh, but I would love her to win a stage. I cannot tell you how much I would love it if Valentina did some mad, crazy attacks and won a stage of the Giro. Please, cycling gods, let that happen. Anyway, um, what other racing was there this weekend? There was um, also mountain bike enduro. Yeah. Now. Enduro is a. Do you know much about enduro? Not, uh, not, not in the formal discipline sense. No. Well, enduro in the formal discipline sense in the world series in the enduro world series they go to various astonishingly beautiful places around the world. Like absolutely, you're looking at the photos and you're going, oh my god, at the gorgeous mountain scenery. And this week, this weekend, they were in Valois in France. And basically, it's kind of a cross between downhill and um, long downhill and long cross-country. And you ride a whole load of different races over the weekend. So, you know, you kind of might have um, various, you know, various different runs of tracks. 
Um, you don't really get the chance to practice everything, so you have to choose which tracks you walk. And you have to actually bike between sections as well, carrying your stuff. It's ah, really right. hard. It's, but it's very beautiful, and there's been loads so of videos. So it's, it's basically the mountain bike omnium. Yes, except no. Except you don't have to. Except you don't have to travel between velo- If you have to travel between velodromes to do events, um, it's well, so much. Well, I, I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but but given how things are going, that's not outside the realm of possibility. Oh God! <laughs> let's let's just talk positives for a moment, and then we'll get on to rule changes. But yeah, so um, lots of video. If you want to know more about it, Dirt Magazine have got these Dirt TV videos where they where um, Richard Cunningham Cunny is. Previewing the 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 the, the, the the you know the, this competition, he made it's very very accessible. So if you've never watched any of it or don't mm. know anything about enduro, go and just watch the dirt TV stuff because it's just it's really interesting. And there is an amazing photo of Tracy Mosley, um, who is just amazing champion, eating watermelon and just sitting looking exhausted after day one, which is possibly my favourite cycling photo of all year. Wow. Um, well, the the other thing that um, that sort of ties into that is, you know, we bang on all the time about how one of the things that makes mountain biking so awesome is that um, they they collectively, you know, being organisations like Dirt TV or Red Bull or, or whoever, do an amazing job of pulling together all sorts of different kinds of media. And um, yeah. and putting it together, and I know you absolutely loved this, um, but uh, the the side by side video that came out during the week of um, of downhill action was pretty amazing too. Oh my goodness! On Red Bull TV, I mean helmet cam. You know that helmet cam and on bike cameras have been banned by the UCI, but they're having some experiments with them, and and they've been and Red Bull TV has been getting Red Bull bike has been getting videos you know getting helmet cam videos from riders in the races and my favorite one previously to this was at the Cairns round of the mountain bike world cup <laughs> the rainforest they had some um video from the eliminator which sounds like a great idea except it was so muddy the video is basically just slats of mud hitting the camera <laughs> <laughs> which is Rained well, off a bit and hitting some more. That was that was the only um, that was the only footage that they could release because the rest of it was cameras that had been attached to various wild animals from the area who were <laughs> leaping out and taking riders down like the the vulnerable prey that they are. So yeah, yeah, and, and you know, once you've attached a camera to a deadly spider or a deadly snake, you think twice about getting it back. So somewhere in Cairns, yeah. there are cameras. There's like snakes and spiders with GoPros attached to their heads, and no one's monitoring the footage. Um, yeah, um, no, but this week they had from the uh, last round of the downhill um, downhill World Cup, which was in Leergang in Austria. They took the helmet cam from the run of Rachel Atherton and Manon Carpenter. I think I think part of what makes that so good is um, how how close their each of their runs were. Like yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't think that footage would have worked quite as well with say you know the the top performer and bottom performer you know because the the difference yeah. would have been too great. But because they were so competitive um, and so close to each other in that run, it made it thrilling to watch. 
Yeah, I mean, so Rach came second in the end. Rach is the world champion, and last year she absolutely dominated everything. But she got a bug. She got a bug on the flights out to Cairns. Don't go to Australia, people. Just flying there makes you sick. And she's not quite got over it. And Manon is this young, up-and-coming superstar who won Cairns and won Leo Gang. So when you're watching them go together, you've got Rachel's... So they're side-by-side, and Rach is leading in the beginning... And then Manon picks it up on the pedalling sections, but just you know, but it's it, it was so fascinating. Fascinating watching not just the the tension of the battle as the you know because it, it 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 tricks you into thinking that it's a live head to head, and obviously it's not. Yeah. But one of the interesting well, there were there were several things that I found super interesting. One was watching the the minor variations in lines they took. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And seeing the impact that that had on things. And yeah, as you say, like, Rach, it was really interesting because Rach was just killing it through that first super technical section. Yeah. Um, and as soon as it opened up a little bit, Manon started clawing it back. But then there were the one thing that just utterly leapt out at me was through that middle section after it had just started to open up when Rach hit both of those big jumps and Manon yeah. skipped them and just rode straight through. Um, yeah. And and you know theoretically you'd think that that you know she'd made a mistake by missing the jumps, but she she pulled back. I mean I don't know the exact timing, but it looked to me like she pulled back. You know a good second and a half, maybe two seconds there. Um, and and you know when when you bear in mind that the the whole thing was decided on what was it? I think it was six seconds between Manon and Ranch at the end. Um, you know, Not even that. It, it, yeah, little, maybe. Little things like that, though, make a huge difference. It was very, yeah. very interesting to watch. Yeah, and what was particularly interesting, I mean, the, such a difference in style, too. I mean, Rachel is just, she looks like she floats through the rock gardens. Mm. She's such a consummate, beautiful rider, you know, really. And But just seeing the difference in the riding and, like, the little, the little, the little, you know, Rach can't help herself with the little, you know, the little mountain bike tricks, like when you go over a jump and you're like doing that handlebar thing and the little <laughs> tiny whips. And it's like, yeah, it's 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 gorgeous. But I mean, I was talking to Polderspeed on Twitter about this because he was saying that, yeah, it's great, but you wouldn't want to show it to a rider immediately after they finished with you. <laughs> oh God, no, no, no. <laughs> because I I tweeted it and Ra- I think Rachel Atherton saw it from my tweet. Right. And, oh wow. And and for Rachel and Manon to be able to look at that as well is just you know, can you imagine you'd be sitting there like you you just pour over that over and over oh, and over, yeah, wouldn't yeah. you? Well I mean that's all either of them <laughs> you know, both of them their training schedules are shot, neither of them slept in like ten days because they've just watched it on repeat, looking for those extra extra half crank pedal strokes that would have made all the difference. Um Yeah. Yeah, no, but, I mean, but you're right. I mean, it's one of those things that it's amazing because it, it tells you so much about different styles, about, you know, strengths of, um, of each of them as riders and that sort of thing. And this is part of what makes me so excited about alternative technologies um, and, and why I'm so bullish when I talk about things like, you know, um, like I've talked about Viclone before, why I liked, um, even even though you felt differently about it, why I liked the idea of, of giving the, the Philly coverage this year a different go, um, trying something different, is because you never know which thing you're going to uncover that, yeah, it's not necessarily what you want to replace all of your race footage with, but you're going yeah. to you're going to this is how you find new things and to me this is one yeah. of the, the huge advantages that exists for women's cycling right now men's cycling is stuck in a rut that's been developed by the media coverage it's had for the last 100 years you know 
Um, if you really want to try new stuff and interesting stuff and innovative stuff, women's cycling is where it's at because the rule book doesn't, it almost doesn't exist. You know, everything's, everything's new. Everything's a chance. Everything's, well, shit, give it a go. We'll see what happens. But I think, I mean, I think, I, so I wrote a post about this because we'd had a load of, because last week we just had this, this kind of, per, you know, we had the, the BMX on the helmet cam, which you didn't like, but I loved. And also the helmet cam from uh, Alison Powers, the on-bike cam for Alison Powers in the um, North Star Grand Prix. And I think, and, it, and it's just got me thinking because you think, okay, well, and, and I was linking to a video on bike cam that I really loved from the past because back in the day, Michael Zaylard, who ran the At Our Drink Leontine.nl, it was before, you know, before kind of the ubiquity of GoPros, but he was attaching a camera to bikes and there's, you know, Marine de Vries crashing in the Ronde van Vlaanderen. Mm. And there's Lucinda Brand attacking in the climbs and descending through the bunch and making some attacks in the Giro, in the Giro Don, the, the previous yep. name of the Giro Rosa. And it's just, I could literally watch that for days. Yeah. I mean, there's Zylard videos. They're not like, they're not as, they're not flashily made. There's all sorts of stuff in them, but that it's just incredible watching. But, but that's, that's part of what makes it so interesting, you know? And, and I think the, the, the other thing that's quite interesting um, is particularly from a, from a coaching and training point of view, it's often those sorts of things that wind up becoming the, the fixtures um, you yeah. know, like like various codes of football um, will almost always take you know for coaches to review they they almost take always take not the not the slick edited game footage that everyone watches at home or at the pub or whatever, but they almost always take a a fixed camera from high on one side of the stadium you know side on that can basically capture the whole field mm. because that's the best way to review you know, positioning and where the players are versus the ball and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, that yeah. works for them. And and it's it's going to be all of those sorts of things that, um, you know, I think from, from a coaching point of view are going to be super interesting too. But I also think that as viewers um, of, of any form of entertainment, you know, we're changing um, – Via, via new technologies, like the internet's changed what we expect from things too. Yeah. You know, so sitting down for two hours and getting live coverage of something is fucking great, but we will also then pour over every two-minute video related to that thing on the internet that we can find. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're not even a downhill fan, and you loved that video, didn't you? I, I mean, adore that video. Point. Like, the thing the thing about that is, um, you know, like, comparing it to the BMX one that we talked about last week, for me, is, you know, that was exactly my complaint with BMX, was that you couldn't see what was going on with the actual ride, whereas with the downhill yeah. one, you could. Um, you know, you, you could see what, what obstacles and things were coming up ahead. Um, you know, you had a real sense of, of what was you know what the rider was experiencing you know i remember watching the start of that video and just you know the first thought through my mind was holy shit i'd hate to i'd hate to ride this <laughs> <laughs> and then rage just made it worse and worse so through those first few times i'm just like fuck that's just oh wrong Vic, Vic looked at it and said are they just riding along a really narrow track and next to <laughs> drop down a, down a mountain? Yeah. Like, yes, 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 they are. Yes, that's that's what they're doing. That's exactly yeah. what they're oh doing. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but one of the things that was interesting, I was thinking about this because the ways I'd like to see. So I was thinking about this in terms of road cycling, and I was thinking how I'd love to see, for example, the top two riders in an individual time trials 
videos be put next to each other yeah yeah because and i'd love to see i'd love to see any video from a team time trial you know imagine and two team time trialers it would actually it would actually be really easy to do for particularly for an individual time trial because you just take you know your top top 20 or whatever and just put a camera on mm. all of those guys and it's you know it, 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 it time trials are one of those things that are always predictable enough that you're going to identify with a good level of accuracy who to to put a camera on yeah um yeah so yeah and someone like even if he had a puncture halfway around, I mean, watching it, you know, watching Fabian, like just the difference in the corners and the lines. Yep. But, but one of the things I was thinking about, one of the things that's quite difficult in to put, and sprinters, I'd love to see, for well, example. For sprinters, I would definitely want helmet cams, not not just bike cams. For sprinters, I'd want helmet cams just to get the sense of the jostling and the all that sort yeah. of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know though. I think then you'd have that problem if it was cab of that very head down. You know, like because the sprint, because the sprinters, they when they're going full butt full bore, you you're literally cab cannonball. Yeah, no, chin over the handlebars, head down. No, you're absolutely you're right. Basically... You're right for yeah. for sprinters for like the finishing sprinters. Yeah, you would want them on the bike, but for like lead out guys, you know, um, you, you, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love that bike of Ali Powers yeah. from behind. Watch out yep. but yeah so but one of the things that you might have a problem with and what i love about this is where red bull i keep saying this but red bull as a sponsor what they've done for mountain biking is just i literally i don't even know how i first when i first i probably first watched my first mountain bike world cup last year um no maybe 2012 and red bull but i you know the first time i watched it, i've never seen any downhill like i didn't understand it i knew it's the fastest person down the hill and they're all crazy and oh my god why don't they die and the commentary is amazing. I mean, I love Rob Ward. I can But yeah, but, but, but one of the things they're doing is getting the footage from different riders. Now, there might be an issue within cycling. You know, someone like Team Sky might not want to do it. But then imagine the Sky versus Orica stuff that they do. And yeah, this or, or the way that, you know, Garmin um, makes such a thing of their team time trial, like you were saying before, you know, um, and, and love to talk that up and... Yeah. And stuff, I mean, you know, like, get those rivalries going. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing is, video editing is really, really simple. I mean, I've got iMovie on my computer. I can video edit. You know what I mean? It's like not, you know, it's 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 something that's super simple. So this is something that racers could do. You know, imagine the ASO doing this. You know, imagine having something like in the well, World Cup. Okay. We're going to put a, a point of view cam on Mariana Voss in each of the World Cup rounds she races, or, you know, in, in flesh or something like that. I know, <laughs> flesh. No, no, but see, the problem with that is that every 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 team that's not her team is going to want her to put, you know, like 200 cameras on so that she's just weighed down with cameras eventually yeah. and can't move. But so... Yeah, and, and it does segue on to, we've, we've, we've alluded to this already, why the UCI banned on-bike cameras? Because I can't see, I can only see it as a knee-jerk reaction because the Michael Zylard videos that he was producing for RR Drink back in 2011, he got chastised for showing them because it was it was banned having on-bike cameras. And I don't get it. It's it's so, so, and, and it's got to be, and this is why I'm really happy that they're, they're changing the rules. Segway. It's not the only rules they've changed. Well, this week. but just quickly on those rule changes, though. I mean, for a start, it, it has to happen because the technology, you know, advances demand it. But I can only yeah. presume that the original complaint was something to do with rights holders. Um, but you know, oh. I, I mean, that's a complete guess on my part. But even even if that were the case, that's just utter bullshit. 
Um, last thing I will say is that every single race should put these sorts of cameras on, you know, some riders in their races and then hand all the footage over to Cosmo Catalano to do how the race was won for them. <laughs> Cosmo's great, isn't he? He's I, awesome. I, I felt a little bit meta. I felt a little bit meta last week because I put up a post on Podium Cafe with the, um, you know, with the links to all the videos and I referenced Cosmo's talking about the Amakameen beer and Cosmo's made those How the Race One videos. I so admire him because he's, he's really making an effort to, to hunt out and find women's cycling video. Yeah. But I was referencing Cosmo in my Amakameen Bira video, in my Amakameen Bira sets of videos and then Cosmo was referencing that post in the next The Weekend Bike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but I mean, this is, that's just a day in the life of Sarah. I mean, we're not going to be able to finish this podcast without at least two more instances of meta in your life. So, <laughs> you know, just deal with it, man. Um, moving so, on to depressing rule changes, started. yeah. Now, I found out about this because a track rider, a really good track rider who's won some really good things, got in touch with me on Facebook and said, hey, do you know about the rule changes to the Track World Cups? And I was like, what? And, um, no. And so we were chatting back and forth, and she's, and there's going be some really big changes to track. Yeah, and which... I do have to admit, I, when I'm reading the UCI rules... I, I get a kind of very specific form of dyslexia, like a very, very specific contextual form of dyslexia, where I can't actually understand <laughs> what I'm reading. It's literally like, this is, must be what it must be like for dyslexics yeah, all no, the no, time. Yeah, no, 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 but see, that's, that's a feature, not a bug. Like, the UCI pays their lawyers a hell of a lot of money to write their rules in that sort of language. <laughs> I, I, I just want to, thank, I want to thank Andrew on Twitter and Colin Lynch, parapsychist, who's amazing, for really helping me get my head around what was, what it was being said. So changes to track first. I mean, one of the things that's quite that I was a bit worried about is it seems that what they're doing is is trying to pave the way for getting rid of non-Olympic events in track World Cups. Yeah. So um, at the moment, you don't have to have um, at the moment, say, for the, the events like individual pursuits, scratch and points races, which are non-Olympic events but still in the world champs are generally on last year. They were on, you know, two out of three of the world cups would host them, Yeah. but they're kind of reducing how much money they'll pay. And they're kind of paving the way for track world cups to drop a day and um, to try, presumably to try and make it cheaper to run. But it's actually really, really bad, short sighted and mad because if anything, you know, the, the whole thing is that they're non Olympic events, right? Yep. Anyone who hosts the Olympics has to have a velodrome. Yeah. Any team that's riding the team pursuit is taking four riders, men and women, out in each team pursuit squad. Who only of, and of those riders, only one of them is allowed to race the Omnium. So adding in the points race, scratch race, and individual pursuit, for example, I mean, I'd love it to be the Madison too, but that's a different that's a different question. Um, would just be it's just win win. It's another event for people to watch. Those riders are out there anyway. They've already expanded, like, the Olympic track takes over a week, and it's kind mm. of a little bit manufactured the way they do that. So, yeah, it just seems, you know, and, and especially given when, you know, it's not that many events that they have to build, and they have to build a new velodrome for it. Well, the, the thing so, I find weird about all of this is um, that these changes seem to have caught pretty much everyone somewhat off guard. You know what? The biggest changes are to the Omnium, yeah? Now, the Omnium... <laughs> I hate trying to go. The Omnium is five events, yeah? And at the moment, what happens is you're given points 
depending on your um, where you finish in each event. Can't, yeah? can't, can't we just call it bike pentathlon and move on? Yeah, so first, you know, <laughs> if, you're one, if you're first in the scratch race, you get one point. If you're second, two points, third, three points, etc. They add them up, and the person with the lowest points wins, yeah? Yep. And it's been finishing on the flying lap, which is, you know, not an ex- uh, No, not the flight. And it's six events, actually, but they've taken, I think they've almost taken one out. Anyway, six events, yeah? So it's three time trials, short time trials, and three endurance bunch races. And it ended with the 500 meters, yeah, I think. Um which was quite bad for TV, and also you don't get the victor to have that, you know, lap of honour. So they've changed the order around, so it now will finish on the points race. Oh, my God, I can't even try and... But rather than it being added up, so you've got your cumulative... It's it's now going to be worked out. You have your cumulative total, person with the lowest points wins, except (laughs) now... (laughs) You You can lose all your points in the points race? Well... Now, the points that you score in the points race also add into the also count. So it's not counted on where you finish, it's counted on how many points you get. So, for example, if you lose a lap in the points race, you know, that I don't, I, I, you, you, you know, that's a, that's a negative to your, you know, to your total. And if you score loads of points, that's a positive. But I can't even explain it to you, right? And I've been looking at this last night and some very clever people kind of were helping me work it out. I can't explain it to you, right? How a commentator is going to explain this to people who are watching track for the very first time. Yeah, this is, it's just weird. A, B, I went on Twitter last night and I was saying, hey, has, has, you know, have, have I missed something? Have I missed an announcement? Because the rules are very technically written and I'm like, maybe there's like a press release which kind of explains it in layman's terms and explains the thinking behind it. No, no one's seen it. And actually, it's it's come quite late in the, in the season as well. So um, they've also like expanded the distances of the bunch races. Yay, that's a good thing. But but they haven't equalised them between the men and women, which is bizarre. Like like you'd think you'd take this opportunity to, to add equality and parity, and it's just kind of gone under the radar. And we're quite late and, on and, the and season. Yeah, that, well, that's kind of my big question. Is like I don't get how like how are they not consulting with with riders and and you know presumably national teams or or whomever who will be affected by this. Yeah. You know, how is this catching yeah. everyone by surprise? It just, like, like I want the kind of job where I can just wake up and go, you know what, I'm going to make the points work backwards and, and not tell anyone until the day of the race. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good job to have. Yeah. Um, so literally wow. how we worked this out was a rider was talking to me on Facebook. I go on Twitter and say, who knows about this? And they put me right, because originally we thought that they were getting rid of the non-Olympic events completely. And then other people who are used to reading the rules pass the rules for me, pass the rules for me. And then I say to journalists, have you seen this? And journalists go, no, no, I hadn't. See, and that's why, that's why I made my, I know it's super cynical, but that's why I kind of made that joke at the, at the top of us talking about this subject is, you know, clearly the UCI is writing this stuff in really dense language and not telling anyone about it on purpose because, because it takes, like, you've got to try to be this stealth. Like you can't, you can't be this, this unknown by accident. You've actually got to be trying to keep it from people. Um, okay. Yeah. This is my first part one of UCI. Part two of the UCI, and it's also about track. 
Last week, we were really excited because there was going to be a track world championships for paracyclists, not just next year, but the year after. Woohoo! You know, this is to stress that the, yeah. track, the track world champs this year, this spring, was the first UCI paracycling track event that they'd held since, since the, the spring of 2012. Yeah. No, no, the Paralympics don't count because it's not a UCI event. Like, the UCI's got nothing to do with that. So, oh, okay. um, right. it's So, you know, so the UCI hadn't put on a track, a track event since before since spring since early spring of 2012 we're like yay yay happy days happy days and and when they announced this year's track world champs they announced it very late and it was all a bit traumatic and there was all the trauma about how badly they actually publicized it in the video and stuff like that yeah anyway um jennifer schubel who's an amazing rider she's an, an army army veteran in the usa with ms she's amazing really good for the sport we're saying hang on a minute the track that they're having, the 2012 Paralympic Track World, sorry, Paracycling Track World Champs, 20, sorry, 2016. So it's the run-up to, it's the final event before, final big event before the Paralympics. Yep. It's going to be on an outdoor velodrome in Pietermaritzburg, South Africa, which has minimal banking. It's outdoors, and it's not the 250 or whatever meter track right that's, so that's so it's it's a like, non-regulation it's, venue basically yeah, is what we're it's saying 400, it's it's an imperial track it's roughly 436 meters long rather than 250 meters and it's outdoors right and part of this and 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 it's like one of the th- problems is a that's really really shitty because as jody cundy was saying the UCI rules specify the, the length of the velodrome that you have, so they've clearly bent yeah. the rules to have it in Peter Maritzburg in 2016, yeah? So, but you, there is no way, I just want to say, there is absolutely no way in the world they would have bent the rules for the, for the, for the able-bodied trackies in the world champs in a little Yeah, well, I mean, this is, this is basically the same as, as going, oh, well, we'll put the swimming meet on in an outdoor 25-metre pool that's half full. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other thing is, is, is it affects the para, the more disabled. So paracycling is done in classes, yeah, of, yep. of, of how much your disability affects your cycling. Now, the more disabled you are, the harder this is going to be. You know, a you're, you're at right because you know the lack of banking and the wind and stuff like that makes it really, really difficult. You know, makes it harder anyway. Hmm. Someone said to me, "Oh well, yeah, but this year's able-bodied track world champs was in an outdoor velodrome in um." But it wasn't. It was in. It wasn't. And it wasn't in open side velodrome. And the able-bodied riders were kicking up a huge stink, as rightly they should, because you know it was difficult. But this is like a hundred times worse. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what annoys me is even if right in England currently we have three competition level top brilliant velodromes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to have Derby open by 2016. Yeah. We have. We had that. We we made a really big fuss about blah 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 the legacy of both the Olympics, but especially the Paralympics. Yeah. Yep. I can't understand why we're not saying. You know, the the obvious thing to do would be to have the Paralympic world champs before the Olympics, before the Paralympics in one of our British velodromes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, or you know, I mean, at least in a, a, a standard. I mean, to me, that's the thing that's that's most shocking. You know, like even more than than outdoor versus indoor. I mean, obviously, things like temperature and humidity are actually really, really important, and wind and all that sort of stuff. But you know, the thing I I can't get past is the distance and size of the thing is actually a huge problem 
Particularly, yeah. like, like, think of someone like, um, you know, a blind tandem rider who is used to the turn being at a certain number of metres and leaning yeah. and, and the banking being at a certain degree and then all of that going out the window. Like, like it, it's it, it's just, that's such a huge change in, in competitive circumstances to people who are, you know, incredibly vulnerable to that. It, it's just staggering to me that they would do this. But it's also kind of completely odd because the other thing is, is what does it mean for riders whose qualification for the Paris for the um, for the for the Paralympic team is time specified? Because Jody was saying that some riders to get to the team you have to hit a time thing to be considered for the team, you right. know, time criteria. Now, obviously, you can't count riding a you know, I mean, it's, yeah. So it's, a four hundred thirty-six meter track is going to produce different time results. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. no, you always have, you do always have an issue because all tracks are built differently. So you know, the, the so you know, they've got different bank, different different um, ratios of yeah, but they're they're to, within to they're within similar sort of tolerances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what I don't get is if they had Appledorn in the Netherlands, which is a proper track, on the one hand in 2015, and and Pieter Maritzburg in 2016, at least have the proper track in Paralympic year. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, like this is the thing. Like, you're coming into preparation for the, you know, biggest event on the calendar. You know, on on a on a, a quadrennial calendar. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. so that's annoying. Um, but there has been good UCI rule change news. I don't believe you. I just I don't believe no, you. No, I, I no, hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I understand the words, but when you put them together in a sentence like that, I just it does not compute. No, you know why? I'll give you a reason that will make it all make sense. Helen Wyman. Ah, now I believe you completely. Enough said. Yeah. Moving so on. Helen, Helen, Helen's on the UCI Cyclocross Committee. You know they've they've kind of brought in a woman on each committee. Woohoo! Um, yeah, the fact I'm rolling my eyes because on the one hand, <laughs> yay, on the other hand, oh my god, are we really in 2014 and we're yeah. only just getting women involved in decision making? It's like, has, but, someone, has someone given Brian Cooks and his fucking cookie yet? Because, Jesus. Yeah. Like, and, Helen, uh, and Helen's been doing some lots of work and one of, and, and one of the things, and she's been raising issues that are very pertinent to women. I think one of her problems has been that she's only allowed to raise a couple at a time. <laughs> <laughs> but I brought a list. Exactly. Um, and I think I can imagine that Helen's very good at doing that. Here's my one point I'm allowed to raise. Oh, has it got five subsections? What a surprise. Um, <laughs> yes, you'll notice my one point is in bullet form. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just turn on to this part, the second page. Yeah, and, and they're going to be, and, and one of the changes is that they're bringing in, um, they're going to bring in categories for um, at least for younger riders, which is so exciting because at the moment, if you're a junior, you're basically racing, and this is going to be in World Champs and maybe World Cups. It's not 100% ironed out, but it's really good news because you know it is quite hard if you're 16 years old to be racing against Mariana Voss. <laughs> well, to be fair, it's quite hard at any age to be racing against Mariana yeah, Voss. Especially hard, but yeah. So they're yes. going to be bringing junior categories for women. The other thing that's really interesting now, this may sound quite petty. But they've now mandated for UCI level events the order in which the races happen. So it's now now if you're having UCI events, you have to have a women's race, and now you have to go junior men, under twenty three men, elite women, elite men. 
And this may sound like something that's really small, but what's happened is a lot of race, some race organisers weren't happy about putting on women's races. So when the men's race starts at um, uh, three in the afternoon yeah. European time, they'd put the women's race on at 10 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Before, 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 before they were even finished setting up, basically, for the yeah, day. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Literally, literally before they finished setting up. Um, and they've... Uh, and, and it was like... And it was... And you know, there's no crowd, and also the kind of the message it sends to women that actually junior men are more important than you know. Do you mm, know what I mean? Mm, that the, the yeah. the back. So now it's been that's been changed, and, and it's and it's one of those little things that's really good. And she's she's continuing to work on things like prize money and all sorts of things like that. So yay, Helen! Excellent. Um, there's a really great, and there's all sorts of other changes. And well, I recommend for, just 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 for simplicity's sake, so that everyone can keep it clear in their mind, can we refer to that as a Helen Wyman rule change? Um, so 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 that people don't get confused and think the UCI did something good on its own. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, yeah, I think when you invite, when they've invited riders like Helen Wyman and Emma Pooley to come on there and Christy Scrimgeour um, to come and team managers to come on their, their committees, they're basically opening them up. So I, I've got to give them, give them credit because I wouldn't like to be sitting there and they go, no, that can't happen. And you have someone like Emma Pooley or Helen going or Christy going, why exactly? Well, I still, I still want Ina to be in all of those meetings and to just look at them. Oh. <laughs> oh, Ina. Well, that can't happen. You know, stop being such a you know, pussy. You know, um, that, you know, I still want them to store Megler and install. I still want to store Megler and install Ina as dictator of the UCI. <laughs> what do you mean it can't happen? Make it happen. God fuck. What is this? Yeah. Um, so yeah, hurrah. Um, so that, so go go and read. Um, Greg from the Chainstay has written a really good analysis of all the cyclocross changes. So go and read cool. that because it's great. Cool. Well, talking about I think Ina. I need some happiness. Well, talking about Ina, I've got yeah. some happiness um, because, yeah. um, well, you know, Chloe Hosking, who turns out is like a professional writer who rides bikes as a hobby or something, um, has put out like 400 blogs in the last week. Um, <laughs> but, but one of which was the, the sort of um, kind of unsung heroes of a cyclist career. Um, where she, yeah. you know, um, told some of the backstories of and thanked people who had been influential in, in her development from starting with her dad who got her into cycling um, through her first coach and, and so on. And, um, and she had some really nice stuff to say about Ina and that. So she had, she had a couple of other blogs as well, but that one really jumped out at me and I really liked it. Really like that one. So. No, it was such you know, it's so interesting. I mean, I love I love Chloe's blogging. I mean, she's a media student. She 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 should be able to blog. You know, she's doing a degree in it. God damn it! But she's she's so interesting, and I really liked her thing about saying that you know she didn't have a she didn't have a hero. She doesn't. She's not someone who idolizes people or mm, or has mm. heroines. But definitely Ina. Yeah, and, yeah. And she talks about and she also the other thing that I thought was very interesting was she's talking about her. Um, her previous DS, Yen Zemka, and she's talking about how he'd be able to find the moments when she could hear things like, look, you know, stop eating butter on your bread and, and, and do more work yeah. and stuff like that. But he seemed to be really good at finding those teachable moments for well, her. Well, it was in very interesting, yeah, reading, like like for me, observing that, that, you know, I mean, I guess everyone's got their own way of, of hearing stuff but chloe definitely really responded to people just being really blunt with her from from some of her stories well yeah but i think but i think well what i think is interesting is when she's telling these stories she's bigging up other people but she's doing it 
revealing vulnerabilities about herself. Yeah, yeah. Like, 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 because I can imagine that there's a lot of pressure to say that you train perfectly. You know, like, do you remember that Chris Froome, Richie Port thing? How did oh, you have yeah. to make time for that climb? We just train more than other people, and and that's bullshit. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Whereas for me to admit, and she's very good at this. It's like it's 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 the opposite of self-serving. It's like. And it must be so, so important for other riders to read this. That, yeah, you know, that yeah. The, the well, particularly when you're, you're, you're young and starting out and, um, and you know, it, it was part of her Eno stuff when she was talking about turning up to touring and, and um, um, you know, Ina telling her basically that she, she needed to train harder. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah. then and then the next race they saw each other at, um, you know, she podiumed and Ina was like, see what you do when you train hard? Yeah, and that's. But I love, I love, I just love Chloe's honesty. And um, mm. the other blogs. I mean, she she wrote about. <laughs> she compared. <laughs> she compared. <laughs> she compared the pro select the Australian selection process for the Commonwealth Games to the Hunger Games. Yes, yes, she did. <laughs> Which I love. And she's also got a blog on suffering in Spain where she was talking about the Immaculate Beera and mm. I think I think there's a quote on, from Elisa Longo Borghini, her teammate, kind of go, I like to make more other people suffer. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. well, because it's, it's sort of in the context of, you know, to do well, you have to be able to make yourself suffer and um, and how hard that is. And then and then Elisa sort of, you know, they're talking about it and Elisa kind of pipes up with, oh, I don't mind because I make other people suffer more and that's fun or something to that effect. And you're just like, like oh, it really is a sport for sadists and masochists, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. yeah you've got to be able to switch to be a cyclist. Haven't you? <laughs> Welcome to the unofficial, unsanctioned bondage UCI cycling show. <laughs> Dominance and submission in women's pro cycling. Oh um, Jesus Christ! Don't <laughs> Imagine the search terms we would get. Oh my God. The search. Terms. Honestly, seriously, people, if you're looking to make a quick buck, pornography featuring bib shorts. I, I swear, guarantee that, that, and I reckon because we haven't tried this one out. I'm, I'm actually seriously now thinking about tagging this post with it. If you take cycling BDSM, I reckon we'll get. No, no, no. <laughs> because think about it. You've got, you've got chains. You've got big chain rings. You've got the locks. You've got. The... <laughs> and it will leave. Leave down. Oh, but segue. Yep. Cycling and porn into, <laughs> into the cycle passion calendar into the interview with Amelia Forlean. Now, this is part two of the interview that we mentioned last week. Uh, Tina Levin um, has completed her, her interview with Amelia. Um, and so this sort of continues on like the, the first part was, um, about her start and, and that sort of thing. And this, this one gets a little more into some of her off bike experiences, I suppose. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's, and one of the things she talks about, cause Amelia was one of the riders in the cycle passion. Now, if you've never come across the cycle, oh God wording, if you've never found <laughs> oh, oh, oh. a calendar, what it is, it's a calendar with, scantily clad professional women riders in it mm-hmm. and they can be it can be anything from and sometimes they're themed so it would have like 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 you know women um 
sitting legs akimbo over a bottle or whatever or you know and, and they've had like two mountain bike riders in like one of the least convincing you know both wearing <laughs> bikinis on a bed in the least convincing we're about to snog pose <laughs> i think i've ever seen um it's 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 i find it quite problematic personally um i think it's very telling that the top riders you know it's had people like paulina fran Prevost in it and they tend to target you know the young and attractive ones but you will not ever see for example emma johansson in the cycle passion camp calendar and it's hard i don't think that sorry yep yeah i mean i don't think that i have we've had this conversation before and i think you know it's riders choices and if they want to do it that's really cool and amelia talks about how nice it is to be glamorous sometimes but I also, it also frustrates me because until the cycling news calendar this year, you don't get cheesecake men cyclist calendars. And also this cycle passion, although they'd have bike accoutrements around in it, they, there's no reference to them being kick-ass cyclists. They're just hot, sexy women with a cycling theme. To be, to be fair, and, though, I don't think anyone, and I, mean, I literally mean anyone, straight, gay, cis trans any anyone really wants to see scrawny cyclist men with their jerseys off you know just those weedy little torsos with tiny little chicken stick arms and did you weird never see the frank, did you never see the frank and andy schleck videos that that they made years ago for i want to say specialized which had half naked andy schleck and fully naked frank schleck but you know with not seeing his bits but yeah, that was no, just, it was no. like, I just couldn't stop watching it. That, just that's like the, the, the one, oh, who was it? Was it the City commercial with the strategically placed shoe? Oh, yeah. good God. But at least he had muscles. I mean, not that there's bad, not that that's a prerequisite. It's, it's at least he had muscles compared to a climber who has protruding ribs and, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And, 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 and just, mm. yeah, but, um, eating disorder. Anyway, getting back to the to your point, and I think one of the more interesting points in in the interview is Amelia does, as you say, um, talk about how you know it was fun and um, and you know it's nice to glam it up a bit every now and then and all that sort of thing. But she also talks about how she was a little surprised and, and a little hurt by some of the reaction she got to to the calendar and felt that you know people were basically taking it too seriously. Um, but, yeah. but to me, the most the most important point, and I think the balancing point, was that she wrapped up with saying, you know, if someone wants to do that, there shouldn't be a problem with it, but they also shouldn't need to do it. And and yes, to me, yes. that's the thing that really sort of seals the deal is, I have no problem with, you know, I mean, it's not my kind of thing, um, you know, presumably it's someone's, because why else would they make it, but... Um, at the at the end of the day, my concern is really when you know this is this is one of the the possible paths to to actually get a little bit of income. You know, um, yeah. if you're relying on it to to uh, keep your career afloat, then then we've got bigger problems. Yeah, yeah, and I think the other thing is is for me, it's when you know there was there's it's better than it was. You know, when I first started writing about women's cycling, like you'd still get races where the, you know, the Belgian press would, would be having a picture of, you know, Liz Hatch in a bikini to illustrate a race. And it's like Liz Hatch isn't maybe even riding in that race. Do you right, know what I mean? Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's the thing. Like, is, is, is I don't, if it was, if it was in the context of a balanced 
media approach to women's cycling because you know do you remember when you went on on the podcast with Kyle and Clara yep um on Clara's on on the broken spokes broken podcast spokes, yep. and Kyle was saying but why but why can't you know why shouldn't women exploit their sexuality and and it's like a not everyone wants to and that's you know and it shouldn't be that you have to and he was citing tennis as look how well they do there where the not best best players get lots and lots of publicity and money and the answer is Yes, that's the problem. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's the problem because they're getting attention for not being good at tennis, you know. Yeah. And, someone, and like George, someone like Georgia Bronzini, who is gorgeous, but she's you know definitely gorgeous in that um, uh, um, uh, dikey way, <laughs> and I take that with absolute love and adoration for for Georgia Bronzini. But you know, she's she's definitely not she's not a pin she's not a she's not a standard heterosexual man pinup. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. She's not the she's not the manic pixie dream girl or yeah or, or, I, or, the, yeah. or the busty blonde or something. But I would love you know it would be crazy to think that Georgia by didn't you know would get less sponsorship even though she's a three times world champion mm. than than for example Amelia because Amelia doesn't like you know what I mean it's like yeah, it shouldn't yeah. it shouldn't and, and, work and like this that. is the thing is these are these are athletes and therefore our primary. Um, you know, method for differentiating between them should be their athletic prowess. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, Amelia, I, I, I loved her interview. I loved the bit where she t- said she turned up with her team kit and was a little bit surprised when they wanted her to pose in a bikini. Yeah. But there's so much to love in that interview. I mean, so, so much. And Tina's a great, Tina's obviously a great interviewer and she's written up really well. It's on cycle quotes, cycling quotes. Um, and if you want the links to all of these things, as always, come to our blog, prowomenscycling.com because we've got links to them and tons more indeed um, even more and more and more um just quickly because we're running out of time mariana voss has surprise surprise been in a couple of things again um one wow. was a an interview for rafa which um was was quite cool and i liked you know she was talking about what it was like uh for her starting out and sort of learning how to deal with her shyness and and how to um develop her skills um, with yeah. things that she wasn't particularly great at and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, liked that one. Learning, learn, you know, as a, shy, as a shy, introverted person, learning to become a team leader mm, mm. And, and, and all the people that she loves and she's like, you know, and she's and all the people that, you know, just I love it. My Every favourite question in that interview was the one towards the end where they said, what, what do you do um, to motivate yourself and, and her answer was I think of all the people who came before and all the people who will come after um, and and what I want to try and do to help make it better for them and it's just every yes. time I think I'm, every time I think I'm at the pinnacle of my Marianne Voss fangirling she does something else and the other thing she had a blog which she wrote um she took some. She went on a road trip to Barcelona in Lanzarote. I thought it was Barcelona. Who I'm rubbish. Um, <laughs> where she took a load of, of cycling women, and one of them had had never raced before, and wrote a blog about ra- not racing. Her for the first time she raced, and she'd asked Mariana, "What's your tips on positioning?" And Voss wrote this very short little blog talking about how there's all kind of rise, kind of rise, racing that she's not so good at and doesn't like, like, you know, echelons and stuff, and she's a bit scared riding in bunches, and she talks about how she learned positioning. And it's just like, again, again with this honesty, you know, her being very open about, yeah, I was shy and I did find this hard, and, and this is how I improved. Mm. Like, Mariana Voss can, you know, Mariana Voss... 
Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things that you know it, it makes you it makes your heroes real. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and and also, I mean, you think about um, you know, like like teaching your kids. Um, you know, if they wanted to learn racing, you know, how cool is it to be able to point to the, yeah, see, Mariana Voss had to learn this too, but here's how she did it. You know, yeah, yeah, when yeah, I grow yeah. up, I want to ride like Mariana. Well, she's told you how to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, mm. um, Mariana Voss talking about the changes because she, cause she's doing a lot of work with the UCI to change, to change road cycling. And there's been a couple of articles around this week about the state of women's cycling, state of women's, women's road cycling. Um, I was quoted in One in Ride magazine, um, which has the <laughs> it has the best title ever, doing it for the love and one dick too many. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can you can uh, just I'll give you one guess as to where that magazine's published. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't get that in a British cycling magazine. <laughs> yay, Oz, yay, Oz, um, yeah, um, it's it's I'm quoted in it, so I probably have a so I kind of like. Oh no! It. Did you go meta? Are you metering the podcast? Oh wow! What a shock! <laughs> this is this is as surprising and unexpected as a valet scandalara attack. <laughs> so I'm quoted in this article, but it's very good. It's also got lots of quotes from proper people, like Tiffany Cromwell, for example, as well. And it talks about about you know the, the 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 money the financial changes the differences between you know women's and men's pay and it also talks about how things have changed positively for the better and and what needs to change and stuff although i do take the point of um i do take the point that was that's been made about um yeah it's great when an article when a magazine is 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 talking about this sort of thing and then it doesn't have any other articles about women's cycling <laughs> in it <laughs> yes thank you monique penley you are always the best always um uh, other things other people talking about the state of women's cycling was um stefan wyman the matrix volpine ds was interviewed on the woman 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 blog and also chris christy scrimgeour the specialized lululemon boss um interviewed in on cycling news yes yeah um and both very good interesting um interviews just about different perspectives um of of things and obviously i think those two in particular because you know they come from the team slash organizational side of things i always enjoy getting that that kind of view of the sport as well so uh well worth it um um, speaking of of uh the state i'm air quoting state of women's cycling sarah um i notice this every now and then because you know we have a, a like three listeners in the uk uh including your mum um and your sister and, and your brother um i i still i still can't believe you don't listen but okay um and so i see every now and then these sort of semi uh i i I, look, I can't think of a nice way to say it, so I'm just going to say it. These sort of semi-desperate slash crazy accusatory tweets of, oh my God, we've got a race on it. You ungrateful women haven't signed up for it. You don't deserve a race. Sign up for our race, sort of tweets. Um, yeah, yeah. And I was wondering, you know, like, help? I don't get it. No, there's there's a lot of these. And there was one yesterday. I mean, I'm not dissing this race because I'm sure it's a lovely race to ride. The, the Sheffield Grand Prix was doing this, which is... And it's having this, oh my God, the race is on in July, in 23rd of July, and, and only 14 women have signed up, and we're going to have to cancel it if more people don't sign up. Sign up now. 
and various other people echo chambering like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, women say that they want to race. And this didn't come from the race organizers themselves, but it came through that Twitter echo chamber of, oh, I can't believe people say they want races and then they don't sign up to race. Oh my God, people need to sign up. And I find this problematic because, and, and, and Epic's, Epic Scott, the Epic Cycle, Epic's con- Cycle Scott Contessa, I can't remember their name, sorry, Epic, Epic. Twitter was saying, well, the thing is, is that an after, a lot, most riders in the UK work, and this is a race, race on a Thursday evening, it starts at seven o'clock in the evening, um, you know, it's not feasible for riders to be able to race every, you know, a midweek evening race. Yeah, well, especially depending on how far you're, you're looking at travelling, I mean, it could quite reasonably, like, say, say you knock off work at five, um, which, yeah. you know, in most jobs is actually probably a, a little earlier than reality. You know, the truth is, even if your finish time is five, it's probably, you know, more like 20 past half past before you're actually getting out of the building sort of thing. Um, mm. And then let's say it takes you 45 minutes to get home, which is, pro- you know, that's pretty fortunate in most cases. Like, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty good commute. Um, so what's that? You, you've, you're getting home at, say, six um, and then you've got to turn around, grab your bike, your kit, and all your shit, and get out to wherever the race is, turn up at, say, 22 quarter to 7, flap about, get onto the start of the race, ride, um, be absolutely shattered. You haven't had time for a proper nutrition between finishing work and, and racing and all of that sort of stuff, and pack up and go home, and you're probably not getting home until, you know, after 11, maybe midnight, um, and then you got to get up and go to work in the morning, and you you haven't had dinner, yeah. and like like it's a big commitment. Like that's yeah. yeah. And and I think and I think the thing is is there are quite a lot of races that people will make that commitment before. For example, the tour series is um, the women's races started yep. at uh, oh I want to say seven, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, it might be later. It might have been earlier. Um, but 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 the, but the tour series has good prize money, and it's on TV. And it's really good for your sponsors, and they're you know they're well organised races. So actually, taking a day off work to go to the tour series seems like you know that that that's a decision I think a lot of riders would happily take. Because even if you're not going to win and win that that prize money, it's just good. It's a good race. It's fun. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, and it's and it's it's one of those sort of as you say, kind of like a, a higher profile and arguably higher tier race because you are going to get your sponsors a bit of exposure and you're going to get a chance to yeah. ride against slightly better competition than your your, yeah. your your local Thursday night race or whatever. Yeah, but the other thing is is that it costs money to get to races as well, and if you're not being paid or you're being paid very a minimal amount, like mm. you know, getting the petrol to drive up to Sheffield or somewhere. And then the cost of, you know, like you say, food and stuff like that and everything yeah. like everything else um, or an overnight stay is huge. And you know, I always, always, always admire riders like Laura Moo, who's coming over from the Isle of oh, Man. Yeah. But she can't do it for every race. And, no. and I think there's and there's often quite an accusatory tone in these things of women. Why aren't you racing? And I know for a fact, because I've talked to team team managers, that they'll kind of get they don't always get told about these races in time. And part of it's because the calendar at British Cycling is quite difficult. So this race that we've been talking about is a National Road Series race, which you know, it's, right. it's, it's a high-profile one. Yep. And I'm, I'm not dissing them. I want to make it really clear. This isn't about the Sheffield GP specifically. It's about British racing in general, because this happens all the time. Mm. Where you're like, well, 
you have to take some responsibility for this. If lots of races are having problems getting entrance, what, 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 you know, how are you publicizing it? How are you publicizing it? How are you targeting it with teams? What are you offering? You know, what are you offering teams to go to and riders to go to to make to choose your race rather than other people's races? And I, 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 and it especially bothers me when there is this kind of use it or lose it attitude. And so I was very interested in this blog from British writer Tanya Griffiths who wrote a blog piece about this, because she was a bit pissed off about this too, and, and she came up with a solution. And her solution is that for local, for, for example, midweek races, you should be really targeting your local riders, yeah? Most of your local riders are going to be lower category, lower, ca- lower category riders, and one of the yeah. solutions is make, rather than having a cat one to four combined race, turn it into a cat, for example, cat three, cat four right race, so it's good for local riders because we do have a problem in British in within British cycling that is very very hard. If you want to start racing, yeah. you can often just be thrown straight into the deep end with you know with 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 yeah. With, you, well, know, with, you can wind up racing out of your depth basically. Um, yeah. yeah, and she talks she talks she talks in this blog as well about the problem with the points system. You know, riders complaining that in races with small fields you don't get points, but she's saying actually you shouldn't get points. Because points determine your category, and you can. She, she talked about how she, you know, how you can be, become a very inexperienced Cat One rider because you've ridden a couple of tactical races. Do you know what I mean? You've got enough points. Yeah, yeah. Don't chase points. Be chasing experience. And um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I recommend you read the blog because it's really, really good. And, and next time you see people, you know, yelling about, "Oh my God! Oh my God! Enter this race where it's going to close!" <sighs> just please, just, just, just don't. Don't kind of yeah. Well, think get... you know. Find out find out the background and the story behind that specific race before you jump on the bandwagon. I guess is what we're we're kind of saying. Um, yeah, and yeah. and don't expect you know. And, and riders and it's it is fantastic that the number of races in Britain has expanded. But even if even if you were a pro team whose riders are being paid and you don't have the issues of work to contend with, you can't ride every race anyway. Exactly. And exactly. Choose their races. They'll choose their races. You know, so you're you're going to pick races. If you're a top team, you're going to pick races like the Nocturne and the Curlew Cup and Cheshire Classic and the Tour Series because they're really good races. Mm, mm. But you know, like like like, then you might choose ride races that are other races that are local to local to your riders. Yeah. But you know, or, or you that can't... are important to your sponsors because they're local to their head oh, office or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, uh, you're yeah. absolutely right. And and for a million reasons, they'll target different races. You know, training schedules and you know they're trying to peak for one of those big races so they'll pick up one or two extra races that that lead yeah, up yeah, to yeah. it or or yeah. whatever but also uh, the thing I'd like to add is just that there is absolutely you know nothing wrong with with like you say those smaller more local races you know um particularly for for local area sponsors they can be you know like like if you're the if you're the the you know local cafe or the local bike shop that sponsors that cat three four race you know guess what you you've got you know a whole bunch of riders who probably do want technical advice on what pedals to use or you know which bike they should be buying next or or just wanting to stop in every day after their ride their training ride to your cafe or or whatever so you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with keeping your race local yeah 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 exactly um for another perspective on races, I'm just going to mention this briefly. Um, our friend Babalia um, interviewed the coordinator of the Makamun Bira, which was on uh, the week before last, Agustin Ruiz Larigan. Um, and 
he and that's a really interesting thing you should read it it's on podium cafe gives some really good insight into how races are run and issues that team organizers do have so yeah definitely awesome. read that mm. and and then the i final- i was going to say we've got to wrap this up so i think i think we're we're right right on to i think we're doing pretty good aren't we we're, we're sort of on to our last thing yeah do have um this week the races this week races coming up lots and lots of national championships next mm. week we'll tell you all about the national championships we saw and we'll do our Giro rossa preview we promise we promise we'll do it before the race starts but our final thing um you particularly liked this video that we saw didn't you i absolutely loved this video for one very very specific moment um, the, the Specialized have put out a whole bunch of great videos of, of late, um, and this is the most recent one. So, uh, was it the week before last we were talking about the one with, with Evie Stevens talking about podium etiquette um, yes. and lifting the thing up and then... Oh yes, and you know the rock that she was lifting up had yeah. you, due to the person who pointed out, that wasn't a random rock she found in the forest, that was one of the wins, <laughs> the rock win. Actually the a trophy, win, it's, it's one of those problems... Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for, for clarifying and correcting us on that. It is one of the dangers when you follow a sport where one of the standard trophies is, oh, here's a giant rock. <laughs> Apparently, Ina has them all in her garden. Like, this little rock. Like, that would be trophy. yeah well no she's actually got one of those zen stone gardens you know the the ones that that look you know carefully manicured and raked to simulate the waves that's how many rocks she's got she's got this giant yeah okay that joke is a visual yeah. one um so anyway this video is um tiffany cromwell from specialized lululemon teaching us the the art of the track stand um and for those who, who may not be familiar, the track stand is that, that thing of um, staying on your bike and particularly clipped into your, your pedals um, when you stopped. Um, and as the name suggests, it's a technique that was developed on track bikes um, and is now a popular way to show off your mad skills when you're you know stopped at a red light in traffic or, or whatever. Um, but the, the particular reason that I love this video is that there's this one point reasonably early on where Tiffany's explaining all of this and um, and the kind of, you know, skills that you need to, to be able to do a good track stand and she's, you know, obviously balance, you know, side to side and back and forth and that sort of thing. And then she goes, and you kind of need to be a little bit of a show-off. And there's just this hint of a sly grin and a look at the camera as she says that. That just, <laughs> this is like, yep. I am kind of a show off. <laughs> just makes that video but perfect. Does, but she does all the explanation, all the explaining, all the technical stuff while she's track standing. She, and yeah, she has... she track stands in the whole video, and then she starts demonstrating. You know, and once you've got the hang of the track stand, you can start doing the no hands track stand, or the or the one legged track stand. <laughs> And some, someone, I think it was someone on Twitter said to me, yeah, you know she'd still be doing that right now if she hadn't tried to demonstrate the one hand, one leg track. <laughs> <laughs> no one kept going until she fell off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, watch it. I mean, it's on, this, is, this is one of the videos on Specialized YouTube, but like always, go to our site, prowomencycling.com, and we've got all the links, all the videos, 
Um, and anything you think we've missed, if you, when, especially if you think we're wrong, contact us on prowomenscycling at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our blog or you can contact us, as always, on Twitter. Dan is Dan W official and I'm the catchy underscore pigeons underscore. But we're never wrong, so you won't need to do that. Just tell us how awesome we are. We didn't even becker once in this podcast. Did too. No, we didn't. Yeah, we totally did. No, we totally yeah, did. No, we did. We absolutely did. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. Look, I'm the man. Just, you know, accept that you're wrong thank and you we'll very move much on. For li- thank you very much for listening to us and have a great Nationals weekend. And we'll catch up with you in a state of slightly breathless excitement in our pre-Giro Rossa, the Women's Grand Tour episode next week. Bye. <laughs>